Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Last week, we we dealt generally with patterns of fasting, and uh, I gave you almost an overview of fasting, an introduction to fasting. We looked at uh, certain people who fasted, the general parameters of fasting, the patterns of fasting, and physical aspects of fasting. If you noted, I'm I'm using more P's. Patterns, the people, uh, the parameters, the scope, the physical aspects of fasting. In today's session, you can see the heading. We're going to look at the preeminent purpose of personal fasting. When God calls you to fast and it's private, like nobody else knows, it's just you, maybe your spouse, and you decide, I'm going to fast today. I'm not going to take food, just water or whatever fruit juice. If you choose, that's your pattern of fasting. And I'm going to combine that with some more intense prayer, maybe some Bible reading, and it's my way of drawing closer to the Lord. Now, in the Scripture, the Bible has much to say about why we should fast. So I'm going to talk about the preeminent. There are many reasons. And if you do a case study, and I'm dying to get into the case studies, but unfortunately, we'll get into the case studies maybe next week and the weeks following. Case studies where you will see there are varied reasons in the Bible why people fasted privately or individually. But if we stand back and look at the overarch, look at the general uh, picture, of what the Scriptures present as the preeminent purpose of personal fasting, um, that is what we want to discuss this morning. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Ignorance is dangerous. It can kill you. What you don't know can kill you. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? The moment knowledge comes to a person, An awareness comes. And if I know the truth about fasting, I'm empowered to engage obediently in the act of fasting with understanding. So I don't do it as a clinical cold exercise simply because it's it's a wise thing to do. I do it and my doing of it is born out of deep understanding of of the processes involved. Not so? And so when, for example... The temptation to eat. And how many of you had temptations this week? This is the amazing thing. The moment you decide to fast, everybody is offering you everything. All the delicacies at work start coming out. Oh, see what I got for lunch today. It's like the moment you take a decision to make progress spiritually, it's amazing how there will always be temptation for you to lax your commitment to, to fast. Now, Let's just look at your notes. I want to look at, firstly, the primary New Testament passage on fasting. Don't read everything. Just read what I tell you to look at. Now, fasting, number one, is a mark of Christ's disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 
from verse 16 to 18. He said, this is Jesus talking, he said, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. Everyone say they have their reward. But you, when you fast, now he's talking to his disciples now, but my, my people, my disciples, when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your Father who, see, who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Amen? Now notice the bold part in the verse. I focused on the words, when you fast. Everyone say, when you fast. Jesus did not say to his disciples, chaps, if you decide to do it. The word when is indicative of the fact that he assumed it would be a normal practice that they would, that they would fast. So he calls them and he simply says, when you fast. You are my disciples, when you fast. And he lays out the motivation for fasting that they must adopt that must be so different to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. But they were irreligious. <laughs> they were hypocrites. They used spiritual activity to get glory unto themselves. It's amazing. The, one of the purposes you would soon discover for fasting is to humble yourself. When you do not eat in the spirit, you are saying to God, I'm not proud, I'm not boastful, I'm not arrogant, I'm not full of myself. I take the posture to humble myself before you, God. So my not eating food has a spiritual correlation of lowliness in the spirit before my Father. Then, how can I use fasting, the practice designed to humble me, to recruit attention to myself? Hmm? Doesn't work. Not so? Jesus said to not be like the Pharisees. Now, here's what I want to focus on. Jesus said, because they appear unto men to fast. Or, this version says, they do it to be noticed by men. Now, these are elementary principles, but I must cover them. I want to encourage you. Your, for, your focus in a fast is not man. Your focus in a fast is God. No man need ever even find out that you are fasting. In fact, I would encourage you, keep it, the word is here, a secret. Obviously, there are times when you can't help, but you have to inform people that you are fasting. If someone offers you food, just politely say, no, thank you, I'm actually on a, on a private fast, but I'll take a rain check. <laughs> Save it for another time. Amen? But don't use the very discipline designed to, to humble you to instill your heart with, with spiritual pride and arrogance. When you fast, do not be like them, right? Because they appear unto, uh, unto men to fast. But you, when you fast, you must appear unto, unto God. Fasting is designed to humble you. Now, the Bible says he spoke this to his disciples. At the bottom of the page there, I put the Greek word for disciple. The New Testament was written in Greek, and Greek New Testament has specific Meaning. 
The word disciple in the Greek, you can see there is matetes. And literally, it's simple meaning. It means a learner, one who learns. If you're a disciple of a master, you get the rabbi or the teacher, and you are the learner, you are the, you are the pupil. This instruction, when you fast, was given to those who learn under the rabbi. The disciple's objective is to embody and become everything that his master or rabbi or teacher is. Right? So tell your neighbor, you are a learner. Tell them you are a pupil. So you are at church, but you really are at school. <laughs> okay? You're coming to learn of the ways of God so that whatever he is like, I too must become. Whatever he is like, I too must become. Now the, learn, the, the teacher, the rabbi, said to the learners, when you fast, it takes for granted that one of the marks of Christian discipleship then is fasting. It's one of the ways you set yourself apart or distinguish yourself as a follower, a learner uh, of Christ. And for me, it's not simply a distinctive. It's not simply um, a feature of your life that sets you aside as a disciple. For me, if you are a disciple, which means I'm always learning and my posture is always to receive from him, my teacher, my fasting then becomes the context or the mindset, if you would, that I adopt to easily assimilate all he has to teach. It's very important you get this. I'll share with you in a moment. That one of the purposes of fasting is to humble your Humble yourself. Now, can you teach a proud and arrogant person? Okay, those who are proud and arrogant think they know it all, eh? Ever try to convince someone that's proud and arrogant about some issue you know they are wrong at, but they are convinced they are right. But because pride um, doesn't allow them to say, to set aside and acknowledge the error and to receive learning, the pride actually then, listen carefully, stands up in insurrection to the willingness to learn. Pride is a serious bar barrier to learning. To learn, you have to humble yourself, set aside your own opinion and say, I don't know, so I humble myself to learn. In the context of discipleship, fasting then is the facilitator of a learning environment there whereby the disciple with ease relative ease, can willfully receive new truth from his rabbi or his master. So tell your neighbor, you're going to learn. <laughs> Amen? That's why in the next, just turn over, on page 2, remember the scripture we had, James chapter 1 verse 21. Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in what? In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So how must the word be received? With humility. If there's no humility, there's no reception of the word. And if there's no reception of the word, the word can't do anything for you. It says here the word is able to save what? Come on, work it. Be able to save the soul. What is fasting? To humble the the soul. So in the context of, of a fast, one is so ripe 
to hear from God. Have you noticed? I'm amazed at the little things God has spoken to me about this past week. I'm amazed at how in a fast, I, will, I, keep, my way, I keep myself away from food, but it's like my awareness for spiritual things and to access God's voice is heightened. You know what? It is simple humbling of the soul and enlarging of the spirit that with ease will access the voice of God. You've got to humble yourself to receive the word that is able to save the soul. And fasting humbles the soul. So you can, that is why, I recall, you know, Valcom, we were there. I was there with Sean. Sean dropped me up. Um, we fasted, remember? While we were there in Valcom, it was a four-day thing or three-day thing. Right? And you know, there was plenty to eat at conferences. Especially here in Valcom, they really welcome you with food. And we decided, it was, was my, my Lord spoke to me about a fast. Sean, because he's driving me now, I had to join in. <laughs> okay, he can't be eating in the car while I'm fasting. You know, you need to eat on a journey. We chose not to. And we only had one meal a day uh, together with Pastor Thamong in the evenings and John, etc. Right through, we set ourselves, just wanted to separate. And you know, throughout that conference, Pastor Thamo shared some powerful things about firstborn sonship. And I've heard him at that conference, I think uh, three or four times before, speaking about firstborn sonship. All the same scriptures were referenced. But for me, it was like hearing it for the very first time. You know what was happening in my world? My, my, my soul was so low, my spirit antenna was so up, I was picking up things I could not pick up before. Sometimes you can stand before greatness and not hear anything. You can stand before a great teacher and not pick up anything, simply because the soul and his voice, the unrenewed soul, is so foremost, and the spirit man so dwarfed, that the unrenewed soul presents a barrier to the spirit man to receive things from the spirit. That's why any learning environment, reception of the word with humility is key. And fasting helps you just to quiet your inner self. Because you know the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Not so? It's a very busy area. What you think, what you feel, what you decide. Your mind, your will, the emotions. Sometimes you need to just block out competing voices to access more clearly His voice. Amen? I pray that that has been your experience up to this point. Amen? Now, 1.2. Let's, let's, let's speak about the general motive or motivation in fasting. Amen? Matthew chapter 6 starts like this. There's it there. Chapter 6, verse 1 in your notes. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Then he starts talking about the three areas. When you pray, when you give, and lastly, when you fast. Do not fast like the hypocrites do. And notice... Um, all your attention here, please. One second. Notice. He says the hypocrites, the religious leaders, they fast to be noticed by people. 
He says, don't, he says they have their reward in full. What's the reward in full? The regard of men. The notice of men. He says, understand, but you, my disciples, when you fast, fast to be noticed by? By God in the heavens. Fast in secret. Don't use it for personal aggrandizement, for personal glory, to reap attention to yourself so that people can think, Woo, what a spiritual person that is. Look how, look how they're fasting. No, just be quiet about it. Please remember this, brethren. It's unto God. It's not unto men that you fast. Your focus is Godward all the time. Even if nobody else knows, that's not a problem. So long as he who matters regards it. It would be a sad indictment upon the church and upon you. If the whole world regards your fast and God doesn't even consider it. Hmm? So Jesus said this, fast unto your father who sees in secret, and your father who sees in secret will re- reward you. Now, listen very carefully. The two motives at the bottom of page two. Number one, to appear to men, or you appearing unto God. Now, go to page three quickly. In Zechariah chapter seven, verse five, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and you mourned in the fifth and the seventh months, these 70 years, was it actually for me that you fasted? Very important verse here. God is asking the nation, was I the center of your your focus? right? Or was your fast geared to build up your spiritual reputation before the eyes of men? Okay, It will be a sad day when we fast simply for glory unto our Unto ourselves. Okay, leave leave Luke 18 out. Go straight down to Isaiah chapter 58 verse 3. Isaiah 58 generally is a principal fasting chapter that we will look at two weeks from now. The whole chapter. It's key. It contains vital principles of fasting that everyone should note. And in the middle of it, verse 3, the people of God say to God, they're talking to God, we, why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Now the response of God is what I'm after. So please, you will hear me teach about that in two weeks' time. Why does God sometimes, when you fast, not even notice or regard it? And there are serious preventives, hindrances, to an effective fast located in Isaiah chapter 50, 58. But the point of my quoting this verse here is simply, he must see it. Your fast must be regarded or seen by the Lord. It's very, very important that that is the case. Now, on page 4, quickly. Jesus said that those who appear to God um, have a reward. And those who fast to appear unto men also have a reward. Everyone say reward. The word is used twice. But in the Bible, two different Greek words are used. So those that fast to appear before men, the word you can see in point number one, the word is mistos in the second stanza, bolded, which means wages or immediate payment in 
full. Remember Jesus said, they have their reward in full when you fast to make men think that you are spiritual. Jesus said, you actually have something. It's not all in vain, but the something you have will be that people regard you, but God disregards you. Now what do you want? A payment in full, the opinion of men. The positive opinion of men. But you, when you fast, appear to your father, and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you, not mistos. Different Greek word is used. It's in your notes, it's number two there in your notes, and the word there is antapodosis. And it means this, to give back or to restore over a period of time, implying an inheritance of some sort. If you want to just add in the word perpetual there. So it's both immediate and perpetual. It's like an investment. You know when you invest something, you get sometimes like dividends, which are, some of them can be recurrent over a period of, of time. Jesus said this, when you pray or fast to appear unto your Father, whether men know or not is not the issue with you, that's not the reward you seek. You are seeking, it says, a mistos. God to give you back something over a period of time. That's why I firmly believe, and I'll demonstrate this in the weeks to come. When you fast, like now, we're fasting for 14 days. Some of you are going to experience some things in September this year because of what you've done in January. The increment or the payment for the investment comes back to you sometimes, not immediately, but it's given to you like in installments, over a period of time. I would suggest, with this knowledge, you fast diligently. Because what you are doing for your future is, you are setting the environment for the breakthrough of God in time to come, over a vast period of time. Amen? Yes, I don't doubt there will be immediate rewards. There will be immediate breakthroughs, like we will see for some case studies. But what you are doing, you are preparing your life for major breakthrough, perpetually over an extended period of time. It will come to you recurrently. Amen? Hallelujah? Do you believe the word of the Lord? So don't, um, you know, we, you wonder why men of God, you know, like Moses, fasted for 40 days, twice. It was, in fact, 80 days. Once off event in his time. Why he knew he had a significant assignment of leading them through the, the wilderness. And he had to have the favor, the grace of God, the guiding of the Lord consistently in his life. But I believe his and Elijah's 40-day fast, I also believe Jesus' 40-day fast was preparatory or preparatory to a life of, 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 of him engaging his father in the heavens. What he did is fast and their fasts was like a preparer of the way. It's a precursor. It's, it's a preparation of environment of context for God to break through. I want to encourage you. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So next time you are reluctant too fast, think like this. I am foregoing the preparation of an environment for the, my life's future for God to break through recurrently. Amen? Fast. 
when you read Matthew chapter 6, the word father appears recurrently. And it just dawned on me, I think on Wednesday in this week, I was reading the whole chapter. It's a cursory read. It talks about prayer, fasting, giving, and a whole lot of other issues. But Jesus would constantly reference my father. When you pray, say, our father. Right? Don't be like those that take, uh, are anxious about their needs. He says, because your father knows what you have need of. And he says here, when you fast, fast unto your Father. Everyone say Father. Come on, say it, Father. In other words, what, what does Father mean? Father means I'm His Son. Say relationship. That's why fasting without vital relationship is religious hypocrisy, I think. And let me just say this. If you are a son of God, if you have a relationship with God, your fasting then is not an expression of some cold, clinical, mechanical, spiritual endeavor that you hope to reap results in your life. You are fasting unto a father. And if he is a father, you are his son. You're not trying to convince him of things that he does not want to do because he loves you. And you come based. You know when I fast or pray, come before my daddy in heaven, my father. Everyone says he's our dad. Right? We have an intimate, loving relationship with him. And so when I fast, it's from the context of my sonship that has been firmly entrenched and established. It's not some cold mechanical exercise of someone devoid of any intimacy with God. It's built on the premise of vital relationship with him. The Pharisees have no relationship with God as Father, and so they use it to reap glory unto themselves. Jesus said to his disciples, but you, everyone say, but you. But you says it means you must, things must be different for you. Fast to a Father. Repeat after me. Fast to a Father. Your fast is unto one who is not just some big um, autocrat as some people view God. Some cold being up there in the heavens. He's a loving, heavenly father that wants to, to express all that he is to you. Your fast is intensely relational. Highly personal. It makes it all the more profound. When you fast with the mindset. I'm not an orphan, spiritually. I'm a son. I'm God's son. I have a father who loves me. And will take care of me. And my fast is unto, is unto him. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Your fast must be intensely relational. Now let's look at on page 5. The primal purpose of personal fasting. David said the following in two of his psalms. Psalm 35 and verse 13b. The second part of that verse says... He says, I humble my soul with fasting. In Psalm 69, the first part of verse 10, he said, I chastened or I disciplined my soul with, with fasting. I humble my soul with fasting. The Young's literal translation of the same verse. 
So fasting, focus, has got to do with bringing the soul into proper alignment. Now please follow with me. We did an extensive teaching on two issues last year and the year before. The one was the spiritual man, and the one was the prosperity of the soul. What I'm about to say now is almost like a precede summary of that lengthy, lengthy teaching. You are three parts. You are spirit, you are soul, and you are flesh or, or body. Your spirit is that part of you that is native to the spiritual realm in the heavens. The realm that God occupies, the unseen world of spirit, the realm from which you come from, you have something in you called a spirit that actively relates to that dimension with the greatest of ease. It's that part that connects you as a human to things divine. It's the part that is in you that makes you compatible with things eternal. In fact, when you die, your body will dissipate from the grave and the dust you came and to dust you shall return. This body will decompose and go back to the dust from where it came. But you, your spirit man, still exists. It's that component in you that is the life-giving principle of the man. James said, for the body without the spirit is dead. So a corpse is proof that there's no spirit in the body. When the spirit leaves the body, the body dies. The body needs the spirit for life. Amen? So you have spirit, then that's the native part to God in the heavens from whence you came. It's the part in you that gives you the capacity to understand God and also to receive His Word. That's why there are sometimes you can understand something in the spirit, but it can make no sense to the rational mind of the soul. Not so? The soul is that humanistic part of you, also unseen, also eternal, will never die. But it's that part in you that God has given every man because he put you in an earth-based context on the earth, in a natural world, and in your body, you need the faculty of the soul to intelligently engage the real world. So you go to work, for example. Brandon runs a business, Bultong Aya. Let's say in his business, uh, Cindy is an interior designer, very successful as well. Let's say they run their business. You have to make a decision, let's say, on a matter in business. Or let's say any of you have to make a decision in a family matter or at your workplace. What you're doing, you're using your rational human understanding to appraise all the factors, make an intelligible decision about a certain part that you need to embark. What you have used is the mind of your soul. The soul has a mind, what I think. The soul has a will, what I decide. The soul has also feelings, emotions, how I feel. That's why your soul can be depressed. That moody thing you have, that means the soul is down. Right? 
the soul can be elated. Mary said, my soul, re- my, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit, she says, rejoices in God, my, in God my Savior. It's important for me to rehearse these things, because fasting, like I said, its target is what? Take that soul and humble it. Now listen carefully. What was the original design, desire or the design of God in making man? With these three parts in him. How should a son of God operate in the earth? This is how it should have worked. With your spirit, you have the capacity to receive information from God. Through his word, through your Bible. You read, God gives you his word that communicates his thoughts and his voice to your spirit. Your spirit is the platform. The hard drive if you would, that is compatible with divine software. The voice of God, when it comes, it must be received on instrumentation in you, your spirit, that makes what you hear understandable. Your spirit too has a mind, your spirit too has a will, and your spirit too has emotions, just like your soul. But the original design of God was this. I receive words... From God, understand it with my spirit. I can even make decisions with my spirit. I can even feel emotions in my spirit. My soul that makes me a rational human being in the earth. I can engage physically a known world of of matter and physics. Intelligibly operate in the earth with my soul. That soul in me was supposed to have taken its cue or lead from the spirit. In the order of things, it should have been spirit, soul, body. With spirit dominating, informing the soul, conditioning the soul. And the soul then, in a body, can intelligently give a lead to this flesh. To dictate to it what to do, what to decide, what to feel, what to will. Not so? But when Adam sinned. Bible says their eyes were open. What eyes? Not their natural eyes. The eyes of the, of the soul. And what happened from that point onwards was that the soul, now sinful man, when people go away from God, what happens? The order gets mixed up. They start to operate like soulish men. Right? And the soul dominates the spirit. That is why a word of God can come to you. God's will can come to you. But if you perceive it From the realm of the mind of your soul, that's why spiritual things cannot be understood by natural men. The Bible says that. Not so? And so you have to, listen carefully, to restore the order. This is what we're about, the sons of God. We want our spirit man so fully formed, so powerful, so authoritative, so aware, so fully formed, so well developed. And how how do you develop your spirit man? By pure obedience to the word of the Lord. Not so? The soul, listen carefully. First uh, Peter 1.22 says, You purify your souls by how? By obeying the word of truth. Remember this verse? You purify your souls by obeying the word of truth. When you get saved and you are a son of God, your spirit man is renewed or regenerated. And it too must still grow to fullness. 
But the area of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions need to be renewed daily. Every day you wake up. God will, let's say, speak to you about a matter. You, have, you as a human got to decide, will I follow the lead in my spirit? Or will I listen to an unrenewed soul rivaling what God has dictated to me in the realm of, of spirit? This, the unrenewed soul represents the biggest hindrance to obedience. Say it again. God wants you to obey. The unrenewed soul represents the biggest obstacle to the Son of God obeying the voice of God from the platform of His Spirit. That is why when God says, example, through your spiritual father or through your priest or your pastor, summons a fast, let's say, and you don't heed it, let's prove to me you either do not understand fully how God speaks or you disregard the speaking of the Lord or any matter. Let's say God says to you, uh, Liam, uh, forgive Brand uh, Brandon. He sinned against you, lied about you. Forgive him. Now, you know you are a son. You must forgive. But the soul will say, no, 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 no. I want revenge. I want, I'm bearing this grudge. But the spirit man must say, I'm willing to submit to the voice and the word of God. When, when he allows that area of unforgiveness in the realm of his unrenewed soul to bow to, the lead of what he's hearing in his spirit. And against how he feels naturally, he wakes up the next day, still feeling angry, but yet takes a decision with the mind of the spirit saying, I will forgive, even though it's hard, even though I'm, I'm battling with this in my rational mind, my thinking, but I will not operate as a natural being. I am spiritual. I don't wait for corroboration, no agreement from the realm of the unrenewed soul. I will take a decision based upon revelation that I'm receiving in my spirit. When he does that, it says, the soul is purified by the obedience to the word. You see, you don't wait for your soul to be renewed, for, your soul, for you to obey. The soul is purified in the act of obedience. Very important. Tell your neighbor, purify your souls by obeying. Purify your souls by obeying. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen in the middle, the bottom of your page. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and where? On your soul. God says, take my words. You know, an impress is like a, like a stamp, like an impress. You're making a... Like a mold. Like the post office, they use these stamps. God is saying, take my word in. I mustn't break this thing. <laughs> okay. Take my word in. Stamp my, my, my principles. Stamp it upon your soul. What you're doing is you're bringing the soul into alignment. Amen? Turn over the page. Over the page, I just put some of the diagrams that I presented to you in that series. The first diagram... The spirit leads and guides and conditions the soul, which through the body expresses oh, obedience. Not so? So you must be always spirit-led, not soul-led. Otherwise, you become a soulish man, when indeed you are a spiritual man. 
Tell your neighbor and confess with positivity. Prophesy, you are not soulish, you are spiritual. You're not soulish, you are spiritual. You are spiritual, man. I declare over you. I call forth as I speak to you. I call forth the spiritual nature within you. You are spirit more than soul. Don't allow that, that, that unrenewed thinking of yours to dominate and rob you of your preserve in God. Sometimes it does not make sense. It's hard. But you know God is speaking. And as I obey from the realm of spirit, my soul comes into alignment. Let me just say this. The soul is not unimportant. The soul is very essential. Without it, you can't make intelligible decisions. You rely upon it to engage the world rationally, but you don't rely upon it as the lead factor. The lead factor is the spirit leading the soul that you use in your body to engage the world. Hmm? Now, the next diagram just are circles, but the spirit, I drew the spirit man bigger than them, well, not bigger than the wall, in the center of them all. The centrality of the spirit indicates its pivotal and strategic placement and function in the man. The core of you, the essence of you, is spirit. Diagram three, this one I really like. This one Pastor Thamo drew for me at a conference in Kenya. I spoke briefly at the conference and I was talking about spirit, soul, body. Afterwards, I came on the set. He said, that's very good. Here's a diagram. He drew this on my notes, drew it big. That's where I got this from, this last one. He said, the spirit man must be so big. Your soul and then your, your body. But the most important aspect about you you must be, that, that must be the strongest. Must be the fact that you are spirit motivated. Not spooky motivated. When I say spirit, people think spook. No. I'm talking to the kernel of who you are. Yes, your spirit is unseen. It's non-material. It's non-physical. It's the essence of who you are. Amen? But let that be the predominant factor. Leading your soul and through your body living in the world. Amen? And then lastly, on the, on, the, on the next page, when God speaks, the bubble that says God's voice there comes to us. It usually comes through, yes, God can speak to you, and He does. If you sit in your room, you take your Bible on your phone, or maybe an actual Bible, a book, or on your iPad, or on, on a smartphone, or whatever your device is, and you read the word, through the word you will definitely feel God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me. Yes, God does speak that way. But also, for pivotal things, God will often speak to you through a spiritual leader. Like I'm the spiritual father to most of you here. And I have the word of the Lord for you. That's how God works. I will speak God's mind to you. So when that spiritual father speaks... Where must it be received? Look at the arrow there. It must fall on where? On your, on your spirit. Not so? And the spirit covers, configures, and brings light to the, to the soul. And then, listen carefully, those two arrows now come to the body. Not so? Spirit and soul in a body. Everyone do this. 
Just pinch your neighbor and say, you're still flesh. <laughs> you still have this body, eh? You're not dead yet. Okay, you're still alive. You're still flesh, right? But you know, in you are two principles pulsating. It's spirit and soul. Listen to me very carefully. It's spirit and soul allowing you to make decisions. Either you have a darkened spirit or an illuminated spirit. When the word of God comes to you, the Bible says it comes as light. Giving you understanding about issues. And with your soul in a body, you can live successfully in the earth as a son of the son of God. Amen? Now, everyone say rest. Does the soul need rest? What's the soul? My mind, my will, my emotions. The natural man. Does the soul need rest? It does, eh? Need to come in. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, I think 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, and you will find rest for your what? For your soul. The soul needs rest. And turn over the page. In Isaiah 58. Remember I told you Isaiah 58 is the major fasting chapter. And in that chapter towards the end, I will comment on these verses more intensely later. Suffice it for now, I'll make a point. Verse 13 says the following. If because of the Sabbath, what does Sabbath mean? Rest, not so. So it's, we're talking about this, not naturally, but we're drawing the spiritual principle concerning these verses. If because of the Sabbath, you do what? You turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. Call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day of the Lord, honorable. You honor it, desisting from your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has has spoken it. I taught extensively this principle when we did the prosperity of the soul. And we did two whole sessions on the rest of the soul. A soul in unrest needs to come into rest. Psalm 116 verse 7 says, Return unto thy rest, O my, o my soul, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The soul really is at rest when it willingly bows to and obeys the lead of the Holy Spirit in and through your spirit. When your spirit receives a word from God and your, your soul can say, yes, I bow, I will submit to and yield to that what I'm hearing, my spirit pick up of the voice of God. Then the soul can come into, into rest. In this verse, it is symbolically pictured as the Sabbath, which for Israel was the seventh day. Remember, they did no work. They rested. Literally, it was a physical rest from labor. But more than the rest of the body, the rest of the soul is what we are after. The context for these verses is fasting. The whole chapter is talking about fasting. And then suddenly, the writer of, this, of these texts says, Oh, if on the Sabbath you desist, from doing your own thing. 
and, and insisting upon your own words, it says. Speaking your own words. And you start to take delight in the Sabbath principle. Start to prioritize. Please listen to me very carefully. Here's the principle. This verse is saying, take delight in the Sabbath, which for them was a physical seventh day. But for us in the new covenant, is not a seventh day. It's a spiritual posture of the soul in the realm of spirit. For them there was no work. For us, the rest of the soul is a soul utterly compliant to the, to the dictates of God's voice in my spirit. And this verse is saying in the context of fasting, come back to that place and start to delight in the Sabbath principle. And how do you do that? It says, turn your foot away from evil and start desisting from insisting upon your own way. Desist from insist. I'm waxing lyrical. You know, there's so many people, the stubbornness in sons of God is something that is severe and that needs to be dealt with. Some people have just stubborn, hard ways that even sometimes you're so incalcitrant, you know, like you develop a hardness in the spirit. When that is the case in your soul, you will never have breakthrough. I promise you. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but you are in control of your own destiny. Amend and adjust your ways. And in this context, it says, please hear me. I speak to you the word of the Lord. In context, God is saying to the nation, yes, you, you're saying you fasted, but why have you not seen us, God? And God gives several reasons. At the bottom of it, he says, because you don't even delight in the Sabbath anymore. You don't prioritize the principle of rest. For us, bringing our soul obediently to the place of of yielding to our spirits by the word of the Lord. But instead, he says, on that day, you do two things. You insist upon doing your own thing. Tell your neighbor, don't do your own thing. Do God's thing. You insist upon your own way. And you still think you're right. It's pride, brethren. It's arrogance in the spirit. You're not going to have breakthrough at any level. You have to come to the place of yieldedness and say, yes, God, I will not insist upon my own mindset. I think a certain way about certain individuals, about certain circumstances. God is saying, and I speak prophetically to all of us. I'm not sounding difficult. I'm presenting to you the mood of God. God is saying, no, don't insist upon a path that is designed to destroy you. You're rather healed and bend. And it says, take your foot and turn it away from evil. And you walk a different path. Secondly, he says, stop speaking your own words. Some of us are speaking inaccurately, totally inaccurately. And God says those words are preventive to the power of your fast. Remember the Greek word for one, I think the Hebrew word for fast is tossum. means this. Put your, put your hand to your mouth. Huh? I don't mean busy, I'm showing you the meaning. It means put your hands to your mouth. No food allowed, in other words. But also it has the added meaning of be circumspect about what you speak. Some of us speak inaccurately and we wonder why. No breakthrough perpetually. It's same struggle 
year after year. In the same month of last year, we had this. We're having this again. I speak to you as a prophet. The Lord says, if you do two things, just take your opinion and set your opinion aside and defer to my way and receive my word through the servant, the mother of my prophet. And secondly, watch your utterance. Be careful about what you share about your... your, uh, um, uh, Some people are just scandalous about other people's sins. Don't deride another person's character, dragging the character through the mud. Be very wary. Put a guard over your mouth about running down another person. Rather speak words of kindness, of edification, of love, and of building up, even in the most severe of circumstances. Amen? These things will help you and will energize your fast to be acceptable before the Lord. Amen? I'm very serious, as you can see. I'm very serious for corporate breakthrough. Very serious. And these things must be expunged from the house. Now listen carefully. Look at the, in the center of your notes. The terms humbled and chastened all imply a disciplining of the, of the soul. David said, I chastened my soul. In, 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 I think it's Leviticus 17, it says, Israel afflicted their soul with fasting. Right? Our thoughts and mindsets, now these are areas of your souls, your thoughts, your, 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 um, your will and your emotions. So in terms of your mind, your thoughts and your mindset needs to be brought in line with, with God's. Not so? Think about this, brethren. You presently might have a way of thinking about certain people or a situation, and your present thought is totally opposed to the way God is thinking about it. And in that area of your thinking, in the mind of your soul, you need adjusting. Secondly, your will or desires, your intentions, your ambitions and choices need to be brought in line with God's expectations and desires for us. Not so? The things you want. You might want something that God does not want for you. I was so blessed. We're talking to the young people. I think I, literally, I tried to speak to as many of them as I possibly could. And I was so um, blessed by what I heard in terms of where they are in the spirit. For the large majority of them. I was speaking to one young man. And he said to me, Pastor Randolph, in this fast, I'm trusting God that I will know my destiny and my call. Because I don't want to do something, and even in the choice of a career, choose something that is not part of God's making for me. And I'm trusting God that God's going to start to show me these things. You know that warm my heart. I think as young as you are, are still in high school, but these are your thoughts. God will honor that kind of thing. And I'm saying for all of us, we all have wants, desires, and ambitions. And some of them might be contrary to the ways of God. All I'm saying, in a fast, when that soul is humbled, the soul is more prone to receive, to be open to the leading of the Lord. Amen? God can bring reorientation to your ambition, to your desire. God can, can bring um, readdress to some of the things you want and desire. And then lastly, your emotions, how you feel, need to be brought to a state of wholeness, healing, and, and maturity. Amen? And maturity. Now, let me close. I'm going to start to close now. Notice, start to close. 
we shan't be much, much longer. Please, as you go, and as you fast in the week, say to your mind, I am fasting this week. Father, there are areas of my soul, how I think, how I decide, and how I feel, that need to be brought into, back to where you want it to be. I am trusting you as I humble my soul. It's now standing up. I say, soul bow. I humble my soul to receive the right path, the right way, the right view, the right words, the right perspective, the right desire. I humble my soul to receive this. I'm telling you, God will honor you. God will meet you. God will break through for you. God is faithful to guide you. God will speak to you. God will reorder your steps. If you turn your foot from doing your own thing, on my holy day, declares the Lord. If you stop speaking your own words, God says, you shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets to dwell in. You must read the passage. You'll get an apostolic mandate come to you. Now, let me just say this quickly uh, because of time. Look at the bottom of page 8. On the day of atonement, Israel humbled their souls by, by fasting. Right? Now, let me explain it. Let me just read this. This is from the Illustrated Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, what I'm about to read. Listen carefully. The English word atonement is derived from two words, at and one meant. Can you see it? Everyone say one meant. So if you add the word at, you get the word atonement, right? At one meant. One meant implies, everyone here, one meant implies unity, oneness, or reconciliation. So whenever you, I'm giving you a, uh, uh, some, some principles to help you remember what atonement means. Whenever you hear the biblical term atonement, like we often say, the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross, his blood atoned for our sins. Right? So atonement has always got to do with taking two things that were separate and reconciling them, bringing them at one. Not so? Right? Everyone say at one minute. At one minute. Now, it says further here, for example, um, atonement presupposes that two parties that were estranged with an act of atonement being the reconciliation of them into a state of harmony. The theological meaning is the reconciliation between God and His fallen creation, especially between God and sinful human beings. Before Jesus died in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, Israel as a nation had in their calendar year what they called a day of atonement, where certain sacrifices of animals was made unto the Lord, first for the priests, Aaron and his sons, and the rest of the priesthood would then make sacrifices on behalf of the nation. And by that act, God would declare the nation free from the guilt of sin. It's like the day when everyone's sins were forgiven. You were once estranged from God as a nation on the day of atonement. You came back to the place of being at one with God. Right? You became to be, again, reconciled to God. Now listen to what Leviticus 16.29 says in your notes. 
concerning this day. God says, This shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall humble what? You shall humble your? What does that remind you? Sounds like fasting, not so? God says you shall humble your souls and do and not do any work. Whether native or alien who sojourns among you, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to do what? To cleanse you. And you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath, solemn rest for you that you might humble your souls. The King James says of verse 31, A Sabbath rest unto you. You shall do what to your souls? Uh, Afflict your souls. Remember what David said? I chasten my soul with fasting and I humble my soul with fasting. Israel as a nation experienced one day in the calendar year called the Day of Atonement when by blood sacrifices offered, the sin of the nation was cleansed and the nation stood before God, reconciled at one to Him, in right standing with Him. And on that special day, God expected the nation to fast. Expected the nation to fast. So the the atonement or the reconciliation with God was done in an environment of, of, of fasting. Now go to the next page. In Acts 27 and verse 9, it's recorded there, the Day of Atonement. But it's not, in some of your versions, you must check whatever version of the Bible you use. If you check Acts 27 and verse 9, where you read the fast, some versions actually write there, the Day of Atonement. Right? So it says, when considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to ad, admonish them. Now, let me ask you this. Do we need blood sacrifices to atone for our sins? No, we don't. Who died for us? Jesus died for us and he became the spotless lamb of God who spilt his blood so that when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. Not so? Romans, read Romans 5.11 says this. Watch. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received what? So tell your neighbor, you have already received the atonement, the atonement. So um, the King James Version, that's the King James, the New American Standard Version says, not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So remember, at one moment you get back to that which you were um, estranged from. On the day that this happened in the Old Covenant, God said to the nation, they must fast. In fact, listen to me carefully, Orthodox Jews today, even today, it is known by its modern name, Yom Kippur. You've heard of the term? Yom Kippur is the Jewish fast, the day of fasting. It's a tradition carried on since the time of Moses based upon this instruction in Leviticus 16. A day to humble yourself and to be reconciled to God. It says you humble the soul. Now we don't do it. I'm not suggesting, listen carefully, that you need to fast to get your sins atoned. No. If you want your sins forgiven, all you must do is confess and you will receive Jesus. But I believe this, that fasting aids 
a process of repentance. Remember Joel 2? You read Joel 2, all of you? Your obedient sons? You read Joel 2? He says, return unto me. Repent. How? He says, return unto me with fastings. I really believe that in the, in the environment of a fast, where aspects of your soul are being cleansed, it is acceptable to fast unto the Lord to indicate your participation in the process. You see, Israel could have stood aloof. Why? Because the priests would bring the sacrifices. Happening in the temple. Here's a whole nation scattered over a vast geography. Palestine is big, not so? Natural Israel then. Big, big land. Various cities scattered over a vast territory. And and now we're sacrificing. God says for the nation to participate and appropriate what is happening in the spirit. I expect everyone to fast. That is why it's important to fast when when the call is made too fast. Amen? Now, as we close, we started closing, now as we close, I have to finish this. Listen carefully. Everyone say, spirit, soul, body. Purpose of fasting is for me to humble my soul. Bring rightness, correctness, rectitude to my soul. It must submit to the obedience of the word of God in my, in my spirit. So that in my body, I can obey God Whatever he calls me to do. So when I fast, in my body now is where it starts, but the decision is spiritual, but the man says, I withhold food from the body. When you eat, let me ask you a question. Who decides that? You. Your mind does most of the time. Your mind decides to eat. Not so. You make a decision, I will. So what, do you, what does the, the brain do to the desires of the cravings of the flesh? Or your mind sees that chocolate cake dripping with chocolate, strawberries. and It's not just a physical thing. The mind is signaling to the body, it's fine, go for it. <laughs> hey? It's a decision made before the act is done. What's making the decision? Usually the mind of the soul. But in a fast, you've made a spiritual decision to draw near unto the Lord. The spirit man therefore dictates to the soul. Now soul, when you see food, desist from eating. Refuse it. I think fasting then is the ideal expression and facilitator of Entrenching the rule of one spirit. Listen to me. Rule we must. It's to rule that we are called. But some of us want, we can't even rule nations when you can't even rule your own body. You will rule nothing if you cannot rule yourself. You will manage nothing if you can't even manage your own desires. You will never be in a position of great authority in the realm of the spirit when even in your own flesh, you can't even bring that under control. Hmm? That's why Paul would say this in Corinthians 9, I keep my body under, lest after I have preached to others, I become a, a castaway. I want to encourage you. Everyone say rule. Come on, say it louder. Rule. 
God wants to give you mastery. He wants to give you dominion. And I really believe even in areas of business, success of ruling and reigning in specific areas of your life. But in fasting, you in microcosm, in smallness, you start to exemplify the kind of ruler that you are. You can't even rule a plate of food. How are you going to rule a whole nation? Hmm? You decide, and God, you know God is leading you to fast, but you can't even assert yourself and say, I'm in control. Mind of the spirit over the mind of the soul. Mind of the spirit is telling the mind of the soul. No, you're drawing near to God. No, you're seeking God. So mind of the soul, inform your body not to eat. Eh? It's about rulership. Let me just say this. The most powerful duo of authority is an informed spirit with a thoroughly compliant soul. When you get partnership of soul and spirit in a man, there's nothing in his body he will not be able to do. Or not do. Tell you never be strong. Come on guys. I want strong spirit in you. I want strong soul. I want a word illuminated spirit. Your soul and your spirit in absolute partnership over your body. For me, the person who knows it's time to fast, who realizes God has summons and a call has been made, and yet so easily falls prey to the temptation to eat in a time of seriousness, evidences the fact that he has not developed his spirit to a place of absolute rule and mastery. This is an opportunity to express your rulership. Come on, tell your neighbor, rule. Come on, guys, rule, 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 rule. So then, a secondary reason for fasting, number two, is to discipline your fleshly nature. But you can't hope to start there. You have to start by the humbling of the soul because the soul is that entity that conditions bodily responses. Not so. So if you can bring your soul into submission, the soul partnering with the spirit can dictate to the body and get victory over things that easily beset and assail the body. Amen? Look at the second stanza there. You've heard this one before, right at the bottom of the page. It is often quoted, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And Renee said, amen. <laughs> I'm so glad I married into the Israel family because these guys can cook. <laughs> You've heard the term, eh? If you can get to his stomach, I'm watching she did that. Oh, if you can get to his stomach, you can get to his heart. If you can, here's the temptation, here's the age-old satanic ploy. If you can tantalize his appetites, I'm not just talking food now, I'm talking gentle appetites, his cravings, his allurements. If you can tempt a man, and most times you can do it through food, you've got the man's craving, got the man's lust. Okay? So Satan has been working this scheme. For example, remember, why did Eve sin in the garden? The Bible says in the book of Genesis, she saw that the tree was good for food. Huh? Why did Esau sell his birthright? Huh? Why did Esau sell his birthright? The Bible says he was hungry and he craved a bowl of lentils that his brother was, was making on the fire. 
So he sold something precious, his inheritance, simply to temporarily satisfy a physical hunger. Remember Moses? Could not Moses? Noah could not contain his dissipation. He, he, he became drunk. Hey? Could not control his appetite and the repercussions that happened there. Remember? Moab and Ammon were born. If you don't learn to control your appetite, you're in serious, serious trouble. Fasting for me is an expression of how much I can, a measure of how I am in control of this body and its cravings. And for me, if I can do it with food, I'm in a position of growing authority and power to do it with other things when it tempts this flesh. But most often, we see brethren, men and women of God, falling prey, for example, to sexual-related sins because of an, un- in- or an incapacity to bring the craving under control. We all are tempted. No one's exempt. You will all be tempted at some point in your life. But you've got to look at the temptation, trying to tantalize your flesh and say, no. Amen? Say no. But fasting helps this realm. Right? It's a small microcosmic way of you entrenching your spirit power. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. I want to read this. Listen to me very carefully. Okay, we're almost done. Paul is a very important passage. Who here would regard yourself as an idolater? You're into idolatry. Anybody? No one, eh? Got some idol stash in your back room there somewhere. You're worshipping where no one can see. But you know, in this passage, Paul equates idolatry with Israel's eating and drinking. Listen. I do not want, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. It's an amazing, sad verse this. God leads a whole bunch of people out of Egyptian captivity. They were there for 430 years, a whole nation, 600,000 men at least. Counting the women and children, there must have been at least 2 million people leaving. God, major deliverance from Egypt. God says he fed them with a rock of water. He fed them with manna. That rock was actually Christ, symbolically in the wilderness as they went. And here's a sad verse. With most of them, God says, I'm not happy. You know, it's sad when, if God had to say this about any congregation. With most of them, I'm not happy. Now, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. For they lay, were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. Let us not act immorally as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. No grumble. Tell your neighbor no more grumbling. Say no more complaining. 
Let me just say this. The Bible says Israel did it for your example. They grumbled and they were destroyed. So no more complaining. I want to banish complaint from my system. I'm not even complaining about the heat anymore. Even little simple things. Just let words of commendation. Don't complain about any little... The spirit of grumble negates a fast. Show you that in a few weeks. These things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction. And then in Philippians 3, um, Paul calls us to stay away from people whose God is their belly. You know, you get some gluttonous people. They live to eat. Okay, we eat to live. (laughs) The Bible says, if you be a man given to much eating. This is a proverb in the book of Proverbs. It says, if you be a man given to much eating, then put a knife to your throat. Please don't take this literally now. <laughs> that you say that. Check it out, the book of Proverbs. But Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Join in in following my example and observe those that walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. Here's the verse. Whose God is there appetite and whose glory is there shame and they set their minds on on earthly on earthly things just close your notes as we wrap up you can read the rest at your, at your leisure the notes are for your edification and for your own private study Derek Prince said the following I got this right at the back of your note Derek Prince, a well-known Bible teacher, he's now deceased. He said this, Fasting deals with two great barriers to the Holy Spirit that are erected by man's carnal nature. These are, number one, the stubborn self-will of the soul and the insistent self-gratifying appetites of the body. He said fasting deals with these two great barriers. The stubbornness of the soul and the insistent self-gratifying appetites, appetites of, the, of the body. I want to encourage you. Fast and rule. Allow your fasting to entrench the strength of your spirit man in you. Become so strong in spirit. And next time you are faced With the fleshly temptation, it might not be eating, it might be something else. right? Whatever it might be, you will stand strong in the face of that which is designed to trip you up. And you'll say, I've built sufficient reservoir of strength in me to face this and say no. I can say no, because I've demonstrated it repetitively through refusing food. I've built up my spirit posture so formidably. My soul is in its proper function and placement, submitted to my spirit. My soul, through my body, can then, partnering with my spirit, inform my body of how to behave obediently and righteously in the world. A day for a man, says in the scripture, fasting a day for a man to humble his soul. So as I wake up tomorrow morning, My posture is always, Lord, a new day. I'm fasting today, Father, unto you. I want to appear before you. 
I want your reward. I want investment returns after a period of time, setting my context. I fast, allow my spirit man to be buoyant. I humble my soul. I bring every craving of this body into check. I would also suggest to you, in your fast, limit your television watching. Devote more time to spiritual things. Some people need to go on a telephone fast. (laughs) Some people just love the telephone. eh? Some people need to go on a social media fast. Twitter, Facebook. If you're not using it for spiritual endeavors, just fast from it for a while. And the, the period you would ordinarily use for those things, just read it. Do more Bible reading. Do more. Pray. But what you're doing by doing all of these things, you are telling the mind of your soul what you will do from the mind of your spirit. What the soul will reflexively gravitate towards. You're saying, no. You're putting things in place that exemplify and express your rule. You are a ruler in the spirit. Tell your neighbor again, rule. Rule. You see, I know this, this study was fairly lengthy. The subsequent studies won't be as lengthy as this one. Because, here's the thing. When we do each case study from next week, I'll show you a personality in the Bible. They fasted with some results. I will demonstrate how that person went through these processes. And they got results that ensured that the will of the Lord for their lives was triumphant. So fast forward. Press the fast forward button. Fast forward your growth in God. Amen? Come to a new place of renewed rule and authority in the Spirit. Tell your neighbor, you are strong in the Spirit. Come on, tell someone next to you, you are strong in the Spirit. Tell them rule from your Spirit. The Lord really impressed that thought upon me the past few days. Randolph, if you can't even express rule of your appetite, how are you going to manage the things I've destined you to do? Amen. How many of you do know also of people in the world and in the kingdom who came to greatness and the inability to control fleshly appetite took them from a place of great dominance, great use, great influence, and totally destroyed them? I really believe it's time to entrench our rule in the Spirit. I'm telling you, God will give you victory over all things in life. But rule we must, and rule we will. Amen?